Carbon credits are not perfect. As a farmer, you somehow need to reach the stage of being able to issue them in the first place. In our recent conversation with Simon Torres from Bagira, we dive into the topic of increasing the flow of private capital to finance this gap. If you want to learn more how this market looks like, this is the episode for you. Enjoy the show. Hello, guys. Welcome back to Ragnarsson Invest Podcast. Uh, today's topic, nature-based project and its financing. And our today's guest, Simon Torres from Bagira, was kind enough to share his experience in the area. Simon, welcome to the podcast. Super great to have you here. Thank you very much for having me. So uh, when it comes to uh, nature-based uh, projects, uh, let's say I'm a farmer, I own a forest, uh, and I would like to finance the transformation of my land. What the transformation actually mean and how can I finance it? That's uh, kind of a basic question, but I think it's a good starting point. No, and it's it's not basic at all. I think that it actually, um, if you take a step back, it's it's maybe worth asking like, why would you need to do a transition? Why is there a need for, for a transformation? And I think that this all revolves around the need of us to transform our mentality when it comes to how we value nature, as in acknowledging that um, in the past century or so, um, probably how we've been treating nature is not a sustainable thing. And what I mean by, uh, let's look at sustainability, trying to detach it from like this corporate label, which um, theoretically means doing good um in in your operations and actually for what it really means which is something that can be maintained over time um so basically what i mean is that i think that we need to reverse the trend and start to acknowledge the full value of ecosystem services that nature provides us with from the co2 it captures to the clean water um, it can provide us with a typical example is a forest so something um like like you were saying a forest steward traditionally how they've valued an asset class like this is for the timber that you can extract from it but the reality is that a forest provides so many other services to society that we're failing to account for again like the carbon and this is increasingly starting to change so there is some signs of optimism which i think goes directly to your point of how what are the alternatives um to finance um these these sort of transitions which is um, effectively uh, things like credits, which we can get into a bit deeper later because there are some controversies around it, but um, some mechanisms which start to acknowledge and, and create incentives for this um, are already in place. Um, I think that none of them are perfect yet. A lot of still needs to be done, but again, I'm optimist. And although I do need, I think we do need to hurry in that sense. From the perspective of um, of a farmer, like if we if we talk a bit like low level um, level needs, so there is the transformation that they, they want to go through. We all talk about regenerative agriculture and other kinds of regenerative projects, and there's like different ways I can I can finance the whole thing. And could you could you could you could you shed some light on what options do I have as a farmer? What's my situation as of now, and why is it a challenge actually to uh, to, to finance the transformation? Yeah, um, a very good question. I think it goes a bit back to the fact of um, what um, what is valued or what is paid for. So currently a farmer that wants to transition their, their mode of production to more regenerative practices, which effectively is a way of saying that um, they're changing um, their the way they produce so that it goes more in accordance to nature. And that at the same time, it has benefits like the fact that it not only doesn't emit so much carbon, but it actually sequesters it. Um, the way to finance this is actually through traditional financing mechanisms, so bank loans, 
the problem with these things is that, um, and again, I think this is another topic, but is that um, the sort of the track record um, for financing these transitions, even if they can be lucrative over time, because it's already been proven that regenerative practices can increase the yield in the long term for a, for a farmer. It's something which has a limited track record and hence um, the banks or traditional uh, financing uh, projects are not very accustomed to financing uh, because of the duration of these projects until the yield increases. So currently the, the, the financing mechanisms for a farmer, if you went down to the, to the lower level, um, they're very limited because um, unless you actually have what I would think would be sort of like a venture capital um, playing in, in this project finance approach, um, which is able to take a bit more of risk, risk derived from the fact that there is less um, precedence and case studies for these transitions. It's very hard to, for them to access this, this, um, this financing. So the options that I hear is it's like the very traditional ones like bank loans. Uh, on the very end of the scale would be, um, let's say private investors willing to put a lot of risks and see what happens. But the problem is that it takes a lot of years to actually see the results and get get returns on investment. No, I was going to say that, yes, that's exactly correct. And that is sort of the interesting part, which is unless you start to put additional incentives um, to align the interest of these players, these private capital players who could finance these transitions, it's very hard for finance uh, for, for farmers just to get a loan based on the returns that that prospective lender can get from it. So, for example, if it was um, if instead of a financing institution, a traditional bank um, was the one who was financing this and it was more of a corporate, um, a corporate could be incentivized um, to to finance this transition. There is a very interesting topic here, which is the idea of insets versus offsets. Again, I think we can cover this later on. But the point is, what if you can align the person who is sourcing from this farmer to finance the transition to more regenerative practices, which in essence means that they're also improving the overall sustainability of their supply chain. So it's a matter of aligning incentives, a matter of valuing more things than just the financial returns so that you can actually get like a complete financial structure that makes sense for all the parties. If I may, if you're mentioning here the additional incentives, which sounds simple in a way, sorts of simple for people involved, like sourcing uh, straight from the farmers. But when it comes to private investors who are not really benefiting directly from the farmers, how would you describe the additional incentives in, in this example for private investors who just want to invest in this type of projects, not necessarily sourcing, I don't know, wheat uh, from the farmer? I think that that is one of the main challenges. So um, the, the fact that the, the challenge that we're trying to tackle is so big that unless we have different types of private capital involved, it, we won't we won't get there. Um, so getting um, institutional investors involved is is not only a challenge, but actually something that needs to be done. Um, I think that in order like in order for them to be incentivized in this case, while there is this theme of like impact investing, which obviously has been around for a while, um, the idea that um, doing good by doing well, um, but, uh, and in this specific case, when it comes to um, financing transitions of, of like nature conservation or restoration, the impact part of it, um, so there's the impact and the returns part of it, the impact part of it is, is quite, quite clear in this case and probably a no brainer because there's good traceability compared to when you're saying that you're creating impact by investing in a company, which has a lot of other additional layers which you need to factor in uh, when analyzing that. 
Um, but the wobbly part of it is the returns part. Um, so if you want to incentivize private capital and impact investing, well, impact investing is still investing. So they need to solve for certain things. And I think that the main challenges here for institutional investors are, are, are threefold. Um, the first one is on the scarcity of high quality projects, um, which is going back to like the restoration, uh, the reforestation example, it's a very nascent asset class in that sense. So there's a very, um, th there's a bottleneck within the supply. The second part of it, which is even more applicable to institutional investors in, in this case specifically, is the very long-term horizons um, of, of these investments. Um, a reforestation initiative can take 80 to 100 years. Um, so obviously, if you have to solve for like a, a mandate that is um, sort of up to a decade, uh, that's a bit hard to, to balance. Um, specifically with the fact that um, these asset classes are also very liquid, which means that they're not like a share in a company which you can trade or resell very easily at the end of the period. So there's some added like financial complexities to that. Um, and I think the last point um, or the last challenge going to, to your question is the lack of trust and insufficient data. I think a lot of progress is being done there and that a lot of great players are already working in the field um, from like the initial monitor, uh, sorry, the initial screening to like monitoring. Um, so a lot of work has been doing done there, but incentivizing institutional capital to see this as an investable asset class, I think is one of the biggest challenges. And maybe before we start uh, um, incentivizing investors, because I mean, we, we went into this topic, but um, obviously it's nice if they have incentives to, to follow through. But when you speak with different kind of investors, institution, institutional ones, uh, and also I, I, other private investors, what do you see as their motivation to actually be interested in, in this kind of asset class and in nature-based pro projects? I think that um, it, it goes a bit back to, to the point where, um, sorry to repeat myself here but on the imp impact investment part i think that this is something which is um from from the past decade and that progressively we are going to start detaching um or, or start seeing not, not not seeing just impact investing and investing but actually seeing as one part of the same one part of the same coin uh so um again investing in 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 this case what we're covering here is nature-based solutions so investing in nature-based solutions which has been proven is a is a is a is a mandatory thing that we need to do in order to um comply with sort of our, our climate and land degradation targets it's something that is is essential and at the same time is a clear-cut case for those who have to comply in terms of portfolio requirements with certain metrics so specifically if you are for example an asset manager that has within their now impact mandate but going forward what i say is that it's going to be just a mandate um, that they need to i don't know be sequester this amount of carbon or or or, or um, reverse degradation of this amount of land doing this by investing through an additional layer of another company sometimes can be challenging. So the idea of directly financing projects um, and, and nature-based solutions is a great way to incorporate within their portfolio something which has a direct impact and is also very needed. On top of this, um, although um, there it's a very nascent asset class and it doesn't have a track record and, and sort of it's different to most of the other um, asset classes with an asset manager would, would, would invest in. The flip side to this is that it's also a very nice 
uncorrelated asset class and that it has it it can provide sort of a hedge against inflation because it's a it's 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 a trend that could arguably said that is going to be sustained in the future and the fact that it's so different is also a positive side from the financing aspect so i think that overall if you had to summarize it's these two things the fact that because impact investing is not going to be an isolated fact in the future and just part of a recurrent like a mandate part of the mandate that um financing vehicles have from their basis having these projects in their portfolio can be very beneficial to comply with these metrics the other part of it is that financially they do make sense so the fact that there isn't a track record doesn't mean that you can't actually comply with the doing good by doing well so if, if we think about the development of, of this um if this sector at the beginning you have enthusiasts like investors willing to put the risk because they believe in a certain idea and they believe in impact and they are willing to go into it then you have a and you have people that would like to do it because of some sort of compliance reasons. Then, as you say, in the future, it's going to be a bit more like it's not compliance; it's just the way to do. Like this, um, this example you gave with with two sides of the same coin. Like, where do you see we are as of now on this on this timeline? Is uh, are the investors still somewhat? Um, withdrawn from from those kind of investments and they would rather stay and see what happens or it's becoming slowly the the mainstream of, of what happens on, on financial markets absolutely as in the first part there's still a bit um there's still like this feeling that people are sort of seeing this a bit from the outside um, I think that the main reason for this is that probably regulation is not um, up to speed in this and I, I can't criticize it because it's very it's it's very hard to, to sort of to move these things. Um, but the reality is that we're not there yet. And until there is more um, clarity on, I mean, we still don't even have like proper definitions of what it means to be net zero. We still don't have scientific targets of sort of what you want um, uh, uh, what it means to to offset, which is a different topic, what it means to um, something like this. And definitely we don't have enough enforcement, um, voluntary markets um, for these type of initiatives um, take up the majority of investments, whereas mandatory ones are very limited. Um, so yes, there is this perception that um, until sort of um, the only big thing that is currently sort of been being spoken about is the idea of being um, of, of, of being net zero or, or having your decarbonization strategy, which inevitably is nowadays linked to offsets. Um, but the, the point of just investing for in, in nature as a new type of asset class is something that is still very underdeveloped. Um, I believe that a lot of progress has been done and well, it's, it's clearly exponential in that sense. Um, we are speaking about it way more than we actually act, but the fact that we start speaking about it inevitably also brings action at some point. Um, so I think that what we've seen in the past year or so is, is, is massive changes there. So um, this will change um, quite rapidly, I believe. So to simply sum it up, it's unavoidable future, which is good <laughs> in some way, but we're still moving uh, kind of a blindsided and there are so many question marks um, and we're still kind of experimenting with different um, tools, with, the, with different incentive uh, methods. Uh, and one of those are actually uh, carbon credits, uh, something that we've mentioned at the very beginning that we're going to uh, speak later. And I think that's a good time to, to, to move into that topic. So... Um, I know from our private conversation that you have pretty uh, strong uh, opinion about carbon credits. Would be awesome if you could share it uh, right now. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, quite a quite a controversial topic. Um, offsets, <laughs> in terms of uh, I think summarizing in terms of like what should and shouldn't be counted, and if people are really doing what they say they're doing uh, when they take the, your your money. Um, I think that uh, there is like two big areas um, to look at when you want to criticize or, or not um, uh, or offsets. Um, to be clear, I think that it's it's just one of the many mechanisms that we um, can build in order to incentivize this flow of capital. Um, it's not a perfect one, um, but it's better than nothing. So yes, I do have some views on it and some controversial ones probably, but I am not <laughs> all, all against it. Um, so starting with like more of the practical issues um there's the there's the typical barriers which i think um it's like for example permanency which means um like asking the question of what is the risk of that um carbon being released back into the atmosphere so you bought a credit um, from a forest that then burns down then what happens there additionality which um even even harder which it means that it must be something that wasn't going to happen anyway so if you bought an offset from someone that is claiming that they were going to, they're doing a project that would have otherwise wouldn't have happened. Um, it's it's very hard to measure these things. For example, if like there was a landowner um, that was planning to install um, windmills or 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 like um, even like I don't know conserve that forest anyways, uh, he can't just turn around and sell offsets uh, to pay for it. Um, and then there's a uh, yeah at least another point which is leakage, um, which is uh, very like clear risk of um, just displacing one harmful activity from one side to another side. So you say, I'm not going to chop down this forest and and, and, and um, extract palm oil or plant palm oil uh, here, but I'm just doing it on the site next to it. And then I claim the credits, which is cheaper or more beneficial. So there's a lot of things there. Um, then there's harder to solve issues, which includes uh, biodiversity, um, concerns that some projects benefit certain communities more than others. But all in, I said that there were two areas. I think this is the first big area, which is more of like practical issues. Um, the reality is that I think that we're solving for a lot of these. Um, and again, I'm optimist here. There's a lot of very big companies, very good companies um, that are working on like improving the, the, the quality of the projects, improving the data, building trust, even like creating insurance products so that there is like a more transparent and robust structure to it. Um, this will obviously need to be supported by regulation, like we said before, the fact that it's not enforced. Um, but overall, I'm, I'm supportive for this um, because carefully, like if you, if you select good offsets, they can be a powerful tool for climate action. Um, but then there's like the more where, where it gets a bit more tricky, which is um, on, on the deeper questions of whether there are better alternatives to offsets. Um, and I briefly mentioned this before, but I, I think I'm very excited about the idea of insets. Um, put put um, briefly, um, insets refers to like the intentional reduction of emissions, um, both upstream and downstream um, within a company's own supply chain. Um, so unlike the offsets, um, inset emissions are directly avoided within the company's own supply chain and not sold as an offset um, uh, to another company's for, for another company's emissions. So, um, for example, imagine you have um, imagine you have uh, a food company and um, a tech company that wants to be net zero. It's a tech company that wants to be net zero. Uh, then let's also imagine that the food company sources only from one um, farmer, from one agriculture producer. 
Um, in the typical offset model, what you do is that to comply with this net zero strategy, the tech company would buy offsets that could finance the transition of the farmer's practices to like a regenerative mode of production and account for the reduction of the CO2 emissions on their carbon ledger, so on the tech company's carbon ledger. In an inset model, which is what we were saying before, the op it's different. So basically what happens is that the food and beverage company finances this transition. So instead of the product and the offset traveling in different directions, so like you said before, the wheat traveling to the food company and then the offset going to, I don't know, Netflix or Tesla or Amazon or whatever that they're looking to offset, um, they, they go hand to hand in the same thing. Um, and I see your point as well before, which is this is sort of it's very easy to understand this in agriculture, but I think that it can be moved forward to a lot of other industries um, because while this end setting like in setting approach has been isolated mostly to like the food and agricultural chains. Um, there's there's expected to be like a wider adoption for it, particularly in like very vertically integrated industries with like heavy scope three emissions. Um, so like um, improving um, uh, or creating low carbon metals for batteries for um, like, for example, um, uh, car industries, so on and so forth. So I think that the idea of improving things within your supply chain and not um, that's why I say that it's a bit more difficult to argue because effectively you're on like a moral part where you say unless there is the correct pricing mechanisms, it's very hard to justify that you're just doing something well here and then something very wrong in another place. Um, so I think that these are the, the main challenges, yeah. So maybe just to clarify one thing, the way I understood it, in case of insetting, it's the incentives are better aligned because within it is within the supply chain of the company that wants to do it. And in, in the case of offsetting, it, because it's kind of outside, I, I buy credits, I, I don't really care I, as long as I can put on my ledger that this is the, the kind of offsets I bought. Is, is that correct or I'm missing something? Okay, got it. So getting back a bit to the perspective of, 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 of farmers and, and other operators of, of nature-based um, assets, like credits is the one way that they can finance the transition. Technically not really, because in order to generate offsets, you need to be in the process of the transition. So you need to have the money beforehand. So what other complementary solutions or maybe even core solutions are needed to, to finance the, the solution, like maybe more specifically than, than just like um, the need for private capital. Um, sorry for, 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 so you mean like between there is, uh, for between the start of a project and the actual emission of the credit until the, that financing um, aspect can come to play? Yeah, yeah, because like many, many startups we speak with, um, they say generating credits helps to with the transition. Basically, this is how they finance the solution, even though you kind of need the money at the beginning to, to kick it off. So I'm wondering what, what other solutions are needed, what other financing solutions are needed before actually you generate credits, or maybe even in the process of generating credits, you need more because of different uh, reasons. Yeah, so I think that in, in financial terms, there is a, there is a, 
I mean, the, the point here is that probably there is a distinction. There is a massive distinction from one project and the other. And this is actually one of the main problems that there is not a one size fits all rule to here. Um, if we were to uh, focus on, on agriculture, one of the big problems is that unless you incentive you, like we were saying before, you align other interests and you only focus, if you only focus on carbon, um, uh, the, 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 the science behind soil carbon and the amount of carbon that you can sequester from just um, improving your agricultural practices is limited if you compare it to other um, nature-based solutions like uh, reforestation or conservation. Um, so there, again, there is not one single solution to this. Um, for, for farming, um, the biggest challenge would be on the fact that if the, those that want or will finance a transition are only focused on carbon, it's very hard to justify the cost of transitioning. So there have to be other things, which goes back to the point of in incentivizing people within that supply chain to improve those practices. When you look at other um, types of nature-based solutions, maybe focusing on reforestation, which I think is goes directly to your point of like specific financial mechanisms which are needed. Um, there is a big lag between a project start, the verification of it, and then the subsequent issuance of the credit. There's financing mechanisms that can be built, like forwarding these credits, which effectively is paying today for something that you would get in the future. Um, there is a way to do that. But I think that more interestingly, there is sort of a new role within finance, which could be similar to what venture capital has been doing with um, startups for the past decades, but with project finance and, and nature-based solutions where there is an external third party that is interested in financing this 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 initial project development um, if there is a reforestation initiative so these initial maybe this this decade even until the, the credits are issued this can be done on 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 sort of a loan basis or or different mechanisms until there is a point where that actually can issue a credit but i think that that clashes also with the question that we were saying before are the offsets the right mechanisms um, but yeah creating this in intermediary between the point where it's actually lucrative and before is crucial and then all the challenges and the additional complexities around that which we mentioned a bit which is the liquidity or, or effectively the lack of liquidity in this in these projects um, the lack of um, um, of trust, which also we mentioned with the insurance part. So there is a part where there's very interesting products in the financial industry, which could be created around the insurance of these credits and the insurance that what these projects say they're going to do are actually being met and how you solve that. It's all around building like this trust mechanism. Yeah. So uh, same as we mentioned before, there are so many question marks around the whole process and the mechanism and the technicalities and the trust and all of that. That it's even hard to uh, to imagine where to start finding an answer. But I know also that you try to find an answer or find uh, try to find a solution that would support this transition and fill exactly this gap of of being this third party. Um, that would help in the transition between the farmers up until the point of uh, the project being, um, let's say, profitable in both matters, carbon and financial. So you tried to do that. Uh, how did it go? Can you share your story? I think it's really interesting uh, and worth sharing with our uh, listeners. Yes, absolutely. Um, so 
basically we started exactly with this idea so effectively with the mission of trying to bridge the financing gap between private capital and nature this is what we've been trying to do for for um, the past months effectively um, how we did this is by creating a part a platform or an intermediary between this private capital investors private capital i mean it to differentiate from public institutions and philanthropic capital towards nature um, natural capital projects so we focused on um, biodiversity conservation projects we did um, financing of regenerative uh, transferring to regenerative agricultural practices um, conservation initiatives so it was a match a sort of a, a platform a marketplace a matchmaker between uh, these these two parts um, in order to do this again we we tackled some of the challenges that we were mentioning before so we tried it we tried to create a new asset class which were, which was more liquid in the sense that private capital could invest in it but then resell it at some point if it, do, it did not match with their um, investment structure and the and the time horizons that they were that they were considering so in, in essence trying to solve for these points this is what we did um, then I think that also, to your point of how it went um well we've been working on this for about a year now um and the reality is that although we have uh, made good progress and that uh, we got some great successes uh we taking a step back um there is there is a point that we did not consider very well in the in the in the beginning which was what in the startup world is called the product market fit um so i think that in order also to hopefully um provide some 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 insights of, of our journey and maybe some things that you can learn from it um the summary of it is that um we created something which we thought the world needed instead of actually going for a specific solution linked to a client so you'll see that when i described our solution i was saying private capital and i was saying it very broadly the reality is that private capital can take a lot of forms you can't just say i'm offering this to the world um at least not in the beginning um and to, to illustrate this um let me just give take a step back maybe and tell you how how our journey went um, all of this started with the idea of targeting retail investors, so um, people like, like ourselves uh, and thinking of creating a very cool app where everyone can cont contribute to like um, nature preservation. Um, but then we started having the first problems, which is um, firstly on demand, which was a lot of people were very incentivized for doing this, but there wasn't actually like this need to invest in it. Um, so it wasn't like a pressing urge to invest in an asset class, which very, very few people understood, which was like financing the moment before a reforestation initiative or a bio uh, conservation um, for biodiversity can issue credits. Then on the regulation, uh, because offering anything, any investment product to retail clients is very complex, even more if the asset class is not very well proven yet. Um, and last but not least on the economics of it, um, so it's it's it because of the heavy load of heavy workload that was involved in finding these projects like we worked on a biodiversity conservation project in Colombia and well all the work around setting up this structure all the work around finding the mechanisms and working with the project developers all of that was 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 so work heavy that the reality is that charging very little which is a bit of like the idea of um, how, how um, retail market places work was not uh, it, it didn't make much sense um, and then so yeah 
Then we shifted to institutional investors, um, which is like, uh, well, asset managers, uh, specifically small to mid asset managers. Um, but then we bumped into other problems, which was that um, if you target um, small to mid asset managers, there's a problem with investing sometimes in emerging economies because they can be outside of their scope. There's a problem in investing in asset classes with zero track record. Um, and again, we bumped up into the problem of supply, which is um, there were limited geographies that we could target, limited asset classes that we could offer. So it was difficult to find the recurrent pipeline, which is something that for a marketplace is key at the end of the day. If you are, if effectively, if you're trying any marketplace, if you are Amazon and you want to sell books, you first need at least one or two parts of the equation to work very well. So you need a lot of people to be writing books and a lot of people to be selling, uh, to be buying books. And then you can say, okay, I'm going to create a super cool mechanism which connects everyone. But if you still have a lot of work in these two parts, it's very hard to connect them. Um, so I think that the overall conclusion of this is that um, maybe for, for the broader interest is that um, we made the mistake of trying to tackle, of we've made the mistake to date of trying to tackle too many things at the same time um, within an asset class that is very nascent. Um, so I think that going forward, um, probably what we are trying to do here is shifting a bit of our, our focus either more on uh, the supply side, which is more on the on the on on what we said is the bottleneck sometimes, which is project development side of it, or either um, finding a way to work more with um, raising the financing and deploying it directly, which can be more of looked at as a as a traditional fund. But the point here is that um, taking your own assumptions on what the market needs instead of actually going out and finding it yourself was something that was a bit challenging for us. Um, yeah. You, you took the risk as many other founders to uh, build a good solution in, in this space uh, as, as it always or pretty often works. Uh, you can't you approach the problem of, of let's say, and in your case, focusing on too many different things. Uh, but you learned your lesson and uh, you made a pivot to, to something that you think is, is going to be the future uh, for your company and to make it uh, make it work. So even though it, it hasn't worked exactly in a way you envisioned at the beginning, I mean, it's it's still admirable that you took the risk and you're still playing this game. So I think in itself, this is, it's also like a good message being sent to other founders. The problems are there, there are, the mistakes that we make are pretty uh, pretty much the the same pool of mistakes that we always make but we need to keep pushing to find the right solution yeah definitely i think that um i i I don't remember where I read this very recently, but uh, um, they were saying that every problem is going to be a climate problem. Um, it's This is very topical, but it's, it's sort of the challenge of our generation. And again, going back to the definition of sustainability, it's a matter of, do you want to live a life that um, sort of you're used to, or, or it doesn't mean without change, but um, in the world that you're used to seeing, well, some things need to change. And unless we try to push for them, um, there's no sort of easy answers, but I'm sure we can all find a way. Simon, we spoke a bit about the perspective of a farmer of uh, financing the transition and regenerating land that they own. We spoke about the perspective of investors, what they like, what kind of barrier they have to, to deploy more capital in this space, what kind of mentality they have and where we are when it comes to willingness to, to, to invest in such projects. Uh, we spoke briefly also about carbon credits and the need to complement this solution with solution solution like yours. And you shared your personal story and lesson, lessons learned 
from uh, from building your own business. Many thanks for for that. Many thanks for all the insights, and thank you so much for for being with us today. Thank you very much. Absolutely no, thank you very much. It's been super interesting, and also thank you very much for taking the time um, to create these podcasts. I think they're great. Um, hopefully, we can reconnect uh, in the future. Thank you so much, Simon. Bye bye. Have a great day. Bye bye.